Many of Australia's major arts companies are announcing their 2023 programs this month, and already there have been some intriguing and must-see productions announced. But audience numbers for some of our great theatre productions have been somewhat lacklustre in the past year. This has come as a bit of a shock, as many expected audiences uh, would just come roaring back after the long COVID lockdowns. Now, new research from the Australia Council confirms that audience behaviour has undoubtedly changed and that it's unclear if it'll ever go back to what it was. To talk us through some of the research and what it means for their audiences, I'm delighted to welcome two leading lights in the Australian cultural sphere, Sophie Gallais, the Managing Director of the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, and Kip Williams, the Artistic Director of Sydney Theatre Company. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Geraldine. Uh, Sophie, you're familiar with this Australia Council research. What did it tell us? Oh, lots of information that were extremely useful. Um, we have statistics uh, per state, so the impact of COVID. It is quite clear that it continues, and it is also quite clear that in Victoria, where we have been impacted uh, probably the longest, we see a very clear reticence from the audience to come back to all forms of performance. We see. What and did you say? We see a what? A, a readiness or a reluctance? A, a reluctance. Reluctance. And, Yes. And uh, we, we, for example, we ran an offer to people who had been subscribers in 2019-2020. And a third of um, these uh, lapsed subscribers told us, even with the offers of free tickets and wonderful concerts, that they were not ready to come back. <laughs> so, it's, um, And we see this in, in sales trends where we're extremely uh, happy to be up from last year. Uh, but uh, still away from where we were pre-pandemic. But I think it's a, it's a seismic, seismic shift and that uh, we have to adapt. You think it's as big as that, seriously? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have to look at the returning to where we were previously. We have to engage in new ways with audiences. Um, I know that there are some some uh, um, people like um, Richard Evans from the Australian Chamber Orchestra thinks it's going to be a three-year build back, but I think he does envisage some sort of new normal that resembles <laughs> old normal. What do you think, Kip Williams? Look, I, I tend to agree with Richard. I mean, I sort of um, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Things have changed, absolutely, um, on a number of fronts, but I do think that we're building towards some form of new normal. And at STC, we've just launched our first 16-play season since the pandemic began. So we've been doing smaller seasons and half-year launches. And uh, and part of that is the encouraging signs that we're seeing in, in people coming back. But at the same time, uh, without doubt, ticket-buying habits have shifted. People are buying tickets later. And the subscription model is... is uh, is seeing challenges um, that hopefully over the next few years will start to steady. Yes, I think he also talked about the nerve-jangling nature of the last-minute single-ticket purchase. So Mm. are you being, like people would subscribe, which gave you forward planning, you know, gave you a real, and they'd pay, frankly. (laughs) I would pay. So you knew where you were a little bit. That's all changing, is it? Absolutely. People are buying tickets later and later often waiting until shows have opened and reviews are out. You know, and that for us has, has seen some great successes. We've had productions like The Picture of Dorian Gray and Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sell out and have extensions. 
Um, but at the same time, it also means that our forward planning has a lot more risk in it. And we're sort of very much living and dying on uh, on how that opening night is going to go and, and what the reviews are like. Um, so, yeah, it is shifting the way that we strategize and forward plan quite dramatically. Which presumably, Sophie, means a lot of marketing. If you're going to have these one-off a- attractions for people, you've really got to insert yourself through big marketing budgets. Well, that's correct. You're right. Mm. Um, In our case, orchestras have different programs every week, so we can't rely on a great opening night uh, review and have to keep marketing and advertising our concerts. And just uh, this week, uh, we had an amazing concert with um, wonderful uh, artists and. only um, 30% of the audience bought their tickets in the last week. And so that's wow. for us quite a, a struggle. And Gee, that <laughs> a is challenge. a lot, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's constant every week. And we're extremely lucky to get great reviews, but usually it happens once a <laughs> concert that have already happened and we're moving on to the next uh, programs. Interestingly, in this uh, Australia Council uh, research, um, they broke it down into states and territories. It was quite intriguing. Residents in the ACT remain the most nervous about returning to live performance because of infection worries, with well over half still staying home. Queenslanders appeared to be the most relaxed. Western Australia is is positively thriving with it. It's almost, it's built with its performance. It was sort of cut off from the rest of the country, of course. So, um, Kip, you know, it obviously is a varied... The mentality is shifting, would you argue? Is it based on... Yes, is it just based on COVID or is it something deeper? I I do think each state and territory and, and, and the major cities have had quite different experiences of COVID. Obviously, Melbourne being the most locked down city in the world... The audiences there are, are are still shaken by what they've gone through, and um, you know my colleagues in Melbourne talk often about the slower shift and and uh, shift towards being comfortable that's taken place in Victoria and in Melbourne versus New South Wales and Sydney. I, I find you know for us at Sydney Theatre Company, audiences have been pretty bullish in their immediate return to theatre, and then there's that kind of fifteen ten percent who are still you know, hesitant to come back. Um, I think potentially the the recent announcement around uh, scrapping compulsory isolation will make it harder for that final 10, 15% to come back in Sydney. But I hope that in time, particularly, you know, given that so many people now have experienced COVID and it becomes a more normalised, integrated part of our lives, that that people feel comfortable to come to the theatre because ultimately live performance, particularly if you're wearing a mask, if you're concerned and need to do so, it's a very safe experience. It's very well managed. Um, and I think people are starting to come back and realise that they can come safely and, and enjoy the beauties of live performance. See, Sophie, um, in, certainly in Victoria, uh, older audiences are more likely to, to need reassurance. The report says 54%, 54% of audiences aged 65 and over who have been very much stalwart of symphony uh, companies over in Australia, they say they won't attend large theatres and concert halls unless masks are required. Is, are you requiring it? No, we are not because we have to follow the venue um, uh, rules, and we are mainly we are in residence at the art centre, and um, masks are not mandatory at the art centre. So yes, it is a it is a concern for us. 
um, we see them coming to outdoor concerts or different events, uh, small, uh, shorter programs, um, and we see a huge uh, shift to very flexible um, packages instead of traditional subscription. And I think it's a, it's a trend around the world in orchestras. We see the same in the United States, in Europe, and, and in the UK, uh, where our loyal audience is um, waiting last minute. We'll also require a lot of flexibility. Um, so we have decided to make all our uh, subscription tickets and single tickets exchangeable for further dates and give them lots of flexibility to win our audience back. <laughs> well, thank goodness for that. Pardon me, that part of it in particular appeals. <laughs> I wonder, Kip Williams, whether a consequence of this will be less experimental or sort of avant-garde programming, because this does sound as if you're going to have to be more careful. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, it has shifted the way we think about our, the artistic side of our programming. And funnily enough, audiences are flocking to shows that are artistically experimental. So I mentioned Dorian and Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde before, two shows that deploy a combination of live theatre and cinema techniques, live video on stage. And uh, both shows have sold out. Um, even when we toured to Melbourne, we had 60,000 people come and see Dorian across 10 weeks at the Art Centre. And I think what we're seeing now artistically in theatre is that you know our audiences have gotten very good at live streaming during the pandemic. Everybody knows mm. how to use their mm. Netflix and their stand now. And uh, we have to provide experiences, live experiences for audiences that are truly extraordinary to, to lure them out of their homes. I think also to kind of combat the, the cost of living issues that we're seeing at the moment um, and the kind of cost effectiveness of other entertainment art forms at the moment. So we're creating... That's, wa- that's weighing on you, is it, considerably? Oh, it, it's certainly something that's alive and well in the discussions amongst theatre companies around the country, how we, how we create that point of difference, how we create experiences for audiences to see actors do incredible things that you can only see in a theatre. And, you know, in a way, that type of pressure is, is driving innovation, is driving change, and, and those sorts of shows are being actually rewarded with great attendance from audiences. Mm. I mean, there are a couple of other very interesting facts. For instance, the CBD, the decline thus far of the CBD. I noticed, Sophie, that the Property Council of Australia um, mentioned that the talked about the sort of decline uh, in o- office occupancies in, in Australia's two largest cities rose by just 1% in August. And I think the MTC says that one third of its audience were in Melbourne CBD pre-pandemic, whereas in March that figure stood at just 16%. So that sort of whole, uh, you know, let's just, let's go off to a show, let's have a drink, go off to a show, that's not happening to the same extent. Yeah, I think um, we have had to introduce new ways of engaging with different type of concerts. You're totally right. Um, not long ago, the Victorian government introduced a $25 million initiative where you would get a rebate uh, if you were investing in dining or in entertaining. We've seen an increase in tickets and that has helped bring people back to the CBD. Um, but in, in our case, I would say we're like um, the Sydney Theatre Company. We have invested in, yes, some, uh, I would say, blockbuster from the symphonic world, but also um, really engaging with different type of concerts, reaching out to different segment of population. And I'm very pleased to see that it, it has been really successful. Um, 
some of our best um, concerts in the dark weeks, for example, and that's not what normally symphony do mm. uh, with electric field and um, so the choirs, yeah. spin effects, guns. So it's it's an opportunity. Yeah, it's big, big festival time, isn't it? Big fest. Yeah, it's a different sort of tone, I suppose. Not a not a sort of steady through the year. I, I mean, Kip, you've also got the issue of paid understudies because of illness. You've had to have understudies um, that you wouldn't have had quite to the same extent. And I, I note that last week a, a production of A Raisin in the Sun, your Sydney Theatre Company's Raisin in the Sun, was cancelled due to cast illness. I mean, that never happened before. It didn't. No, there's been a, a sort of seismic shift in um, in in the way that um, illness operates in the theatre. Usually, there's this sort of notion of doctor theatre, and, and even I mean, I recall um, when we had uh, the presence on Broadway, and Richard Roxburgh had a terrible flu and went on for two weeks with this you know, horrific flu, and you wouldn't have known it to see him. Uh, but now it's shifted, and and I think it's a good shift, particularly given the the concerns of COVID. But it does come with great cost for companies and and you know this is this is without any kind of um uh this is a kind of uh, a spontaneous shift that we've had to adapt to really without any great shift in our budgeting um, and funding to accommodate this to be able to pay for understudies so that we can you know sometimes we'll lose a show if if it's very late notice but get shows up and keep audiences coming because i think that that Mm. That trust and confidence that an audience is going to come and see the show and not have it cancelled on them is is something that we have to maintain, and we also want to you know we're there to make the work and uh, and we have to find a way through that um, allows it to do, us to do so. And the understudy program is it, but it's mm. it's, it's very expensive. Now this is your chance, both of you, to spruik. <laughs> You've just announced your 2023 lineup kit, which includes something on Julia Gillard and her misogyny speech, which was delivered 10 years tomorrow. Tell us about that. And what else you have in store, please? Well, it's a phenomenal new Australian play by Joanna Murray Smith uh, that stars Justine Clark playing Julia Gillard. And it gives you a profile of Gillard's entire life, but it focuses really on the lead up to the misogyny speech and lets you peek behind the public mask of our first female prime minister to glimpse the human experience of what she went through in the lead up to that speech and, and the aftermath of it. It's oh. an incredible piece of writing. Oh, very um, so yeah, very excited to have that next year. And you, Sophie? I think I would say that we have a, a good run coming up with our chief conductor, Jaime Martin, who's um, with us for a couple of weeks and all his concerts are amazing uh, production. Uh, it will feature our chorus, MSO chorus, that we, um, chorus have been impacted tremendously in the last few years. So it's great to see them back on stage. And um, yeah, we're, it's a sprint to the end of the year. A sprint the to the season. end of the year. All right. Well, look, I wish you, and I'm sure everybody wishes you all, immense luck to you both. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie Galais and Kip Williams. Thank, Thank you. you Sophie Galais from Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, Kip Williams from the Sydney Theatre Company. Your thoughts most welcome.